Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. I uh, wanted to say happy Mother's Day uh, to the mothers here. Um, it's great to be with you. With that said, let me invite you to open a, a Bible with me to um, John chapter 9. We are in this series, continuing our series who do you say that I am? In the, in the book of John, there are seven or uh, I believe actually eight places that Jesus makes the uh, uh, statement who, where he says, you know, I am. Um, makes a statement about who he is. But the question for us really is, who do you say that Jesus is? And so we are continuing uh, to look at uh, this statement where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 9. So let me invite you to stand with me as we read God's word. We gather together with God's people around the world, standing as we hear God's word this morning. John 9, starting at verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seen. Skip down to verse 24. With me. I'm just skipping this section for the sake of just a long passage. Jesus has a little argument with the Pharisees and then the argument continues in verse 24. So for the second time, the Pharisees, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the man answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? 
oh God, would you give us ears to hear? And would you give us minds to comprehend and imagine? Would you give us eyes to see uh, what you are saying to us by your word? By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, just over a year, or, or a little less than a year ago, last summer, our, uh, our family went on vacation. Uh, we were in this small town in western Colorado and um, that we've come to love. And one of the things that we, we did, our kids were so, we all loved this. We went on this gold mine tour. And uh, it was fantastic. We toured the, uh, it's called the Old Hundred Gold Mine. And uh, the thing that's great about this gold mine is they actually have this train. You get on the train and it takes you back, I don't know, a half mile or a mile into the mountain. And um, it's 46 degrees when you're, when you're back there. But you're, you're so far back in the mine that it is, it is dark. I mean, there's lights in there now. Um, but they kind of take you on an hour-ish tour and, and tell you about uh, the way that this mine was first developed in the late 1800s. And in the late 1800s, of course, um, there was no electricity. There's electricity now, but there's no electricity in the mine at that point. And so they tell you that the, the miners would work in pairs and one miner would hold, you know, like a metal spike while the other miner would just swing at it with a sledgehammer. And they would do that all day until, you know, one of them got scared, or tired, rather, scared. <laughs> That's the point of this. <laughs> and then they would switch. But it was before, you know, there was no electricity in the mine, and each miner went in with one candle. And so they had two candles, and they would work all day long by two, the light of two flickering candles, and we're back in this mine. And so, of course, at one point in the tour, just to get the effect, they've got to turn off the lights. And they turn off the lights, and it's not just sort of dark. You know, it's not, not the kind of dark where you turn off the lights and it takes your eyes a couple seconds to adjust to. It is just absolutely pitch, pitch dark. And uh, it's not going to get any lighter. And uh, you start to imagine, what would it have been like to be standing there holding a metal, you know, spike while your friend swings a sledgehammer by the light of two flickering candles. How in the world could you, uh, could you do that day in and day out? And I thought about that probably for obvious reasons as I was uh, thinking about this passage this week because Jesus is talking about something similar. He's talking about living your life without really being able to see. Um, and uh, what he's talking about is blindness, but he's not talking just about physical blindness. He's ultimately talking about, about spiritual blindness. Um, and, and I think that's a great image of these miners. They can sort of see, but they can't really see. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about spiritual blindness. We can see spiritual blindness as being able to see, but only in part. This event takes place during the Jewish festival of tabernacles or festival of booths. If you were to scroll back, or flip back a couple pages in, in, uh, in your Bible to John chapter 7, it says that uh, Jesus, this whole took, this took place, Jesus at the festival of booths is when this takes place. And the festival of, uh, of, of booths or tabernacles was an annual celebration um, in Jerusalem. And the first night it was a week-long celebration. 
And the first night of this celebration in the temple courtyard uh, in Jerusalem, the highest point in the city of Jerusalem, they would light four enormous candelabras, four just enormous torches. Of course, this is a time there was no electricity in ancient you know, Israel. And so when the sun went down, it got dark. And yet for this one week, uh, they would light these giant torches that would kind of cast their light over the entire city of Jerusalem. And so picture this, the sheer audacity of Jesus in the middle of this week when everybody's focused on the celebration and the light that's kind of being you know, kind of seen throughout the city. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Stunningly audacious. And so he actually says this twice. He says it in chapter 8. He says, I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then, um, well, the Pharisees hated that, and so they argued with him in chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, as if to kind of prove the point again, he, um, he heals this man who was born blind, and he makes this statement again, I am the light of the world, uh, to explain what he means when he says, I am the light of the world performs this miracle. And so the miracle, you know, there's the miracle in this passage that he, he heals this man born blind. And the man even says, never in the history of the world. It's interesting, um, healing blindness was actually the most common miracle Jesus performed. He, he healed many uh, people who were blind, but this one is different. Um, the man says it here, never before in the history of the world has anyone healed a man who was born blind. He was born in blindness. And so he performs this miracle, but the real miracle, the ultimate miracle in this passage is that Jesus removes spiritual blindness. You can think about it like this. If you were here with us last week, we looked at the statement where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And, and we, we talked about what Jesus does to, to, give us a, to satisfy our spiritual hunger. And in this passage, what we see is what Jesus does to satisfy our spirit, to cure our spiritual blindness. Can you imagine living life in the dark? Can you imagine living life in the dark? When we were in Colorado, there was this book in the house we were staying, and it was talking about just the mining history in this part of western Colorado, and I was reading it, and you just kind of come away with the impression that it wasn't just dark in the mines. It just, I mean, it, it must have been so cold and so wet and so dark all winter long. Can you imagine living life in the dark, living by the light of a flickering candle hardly being able to see? Well, of course you can imagine that because many of us know what it's like to live much of our lives in spiritual darkness. And to, a great, to, a, to one extent or another, all of us live with you know, spiritual immaturity, spiritual blindness of one uh, degree or another. So look with me at this passage what I want you to see is what Jesus, uh, what, what Jesus says about spiritual blindness. First, I want you to see what spiritual blindness is. And then what Jesus does to heal spiritual blindness. And then I want you to see how Jesus enlightens the whole, the whole world. What Jesus does to enlighten the whole world. So first, what spiritual blindness is. Uh, we kind of skipped over some of this middle part. But, but you really see uh, spiritual blindness play out in this back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees. Basically, what we see in this, in this uh, passage is that the Pharisees, they just can't really believe that Jesus 
healed this guy. And uh, they just go back and forth, and they, they come to the man, and they say, are you, were you really born blind? And he's like, yeah, I, I was really born blind. And then they go to the man's parents, <laughs> and they say, was your son really born blind? And the parents say, he was really born blind, but we don't know what happened. Don't hold it against us. We don't want to get in trouble. And then they go back to the man again, and they say, were you really born blind? And he says, uh, yes. Um, I was really born blind. They say, who did this? We think he's a sinner. They're very hostile. They don't like what Jesus has done. They can't accept it. They can't see what he's done. And so the chapter really ends with Jesus kind of charging or accusing the the Pharisees of spiritual blindness. So what is spiritual blindness? Well, um, I think that we can, we can understand this in even a very natural sense, that there is a sense in which we understand what it means to see something apart from just seeing something in a literal sense. Um, does that make sense? We can, we can see things in a, in, a, in a sense that is not just you know, literally seeing something. What, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, when I was first graduated from college, um, I got this job through a temp agency at an insurance company. And for, I don't know, three or four months, I was um, basically the assistant to one of the vice presidents who supervised, I don't know, 100, 150 employees or something like that. And I had about a week where the person I was replacing kind of caught me up to speed and trained me and told me what I was supposed to do, which was, which was basically nothing. <laughs> um, I, I had like almost nothing to do in this job. It was really boring. And, um, and to, one of the things she told me was there's this spreadsheet that I use to track everybody's, like these 150 employees. I use this spreadsheet to track uh, time off. And the way she said it was kind of funny. She said, this is a spreadsheet that I use to track time off. And I think somehow in the midst of this job where I didn't have anything to do, I just took that as like, this was a thing she did, but it was kind of an optional thing. And so I just stopped doing that. I, I don't know why. Um, it didn't seem like it made any difference until about six weeks in when my boss came and said, I've got a bunch of uh, request for time off, I've got to improve, can I see that spreadsheet? And just like that, like I saw why it was important, you know? <laughs> she didn't have to explain to me why it was important. Um, I didn't get any new information, nobody retrained me or retaught me, it was just this split second, like, I get it now, now I see it. Um, nobody had to teach me anything, finally I saw. As human beings, I think we would all acknowledge that there's a sense in which, well, it's gonna be confusing if I say that like that. As human beings, we all know that we have senses beyond just the five physical senses. Um, we, we sense that justice is real. Um, when somebody really truly wrongs you, you have the sense, don't you, that that is not just a difference of opinion or a different way of doing things, but that you have been really truly wronged. Or uh, we sense beauty beyond just our physical ability to see. And there are, there, are, there are instances of beauty in our world. You know, the sunset is the classic example that every human being would say, that is beautiful. Uh, and yet, it's not just because we physically see it. We have the sense that this is beautiful. Uh, when we hear somebody speak to us beyond our physical sense of hearing, 
we can sense in their words if their voice, you know, in, in, in their voice, are these, are these kind words or are these angry words, are these harsh words? Uh, we have senses beyond our five physical senses. And to be blind to them, we understand this means that you can have all of the information and yet somehow like the penny just doesn't drop. Uh, we can see without really seeing. We can see, we can have all the information without understanding what it really means. And just as that's true in so many you know, obvious everyday ways, what Jesus is saying in this passage is that that is deeply, profoundly true of our spiritual sight. The same thing is true of spiritual blindness. We can know many true things and yet not see why they matter. They haven't really become real to us. And that's what spiritual blindness is. I have a friend uh, named Michael. And uh, my friend Michael, uh, several years ago as I was getting to know him, he mentioned once to me that he was raised in a Christian home. Uh, His family went to church all the time. And uh, yet Michael uh, became a Christian when he went away to college. Uh, and, and what he said was, you know, growing up, everybody would have said I was a Christian. I went to church all the time. Externally, I acted like a Christian, but the penny never dropped. And it was when I went away to college that I actually trusted Jesus for the first time. And uh, I began to understand, like, just the reality, all these things I knew, the reality of who God is uh, came home to me. I began to see, I, have, I had spiritual sight. And when Michael told me that, it blew my mind. And it didn't blow my mind because that was some abnormal story. I mean, that, that's a pretty, a fairly common story for a lot of people who are raised in Christian homes. Um, but there's a, there's a particular reason why that kind of blew my mind about my friend Michael. And before I tell you why, I'm going to tell you in just a minute, I'm going to say a name that's only going to mean something to about half of you, but don't worry, I'll explain it. This is why this blew my mind, because Michael's dad is a guy named Tim Keller. And uh, half of you know who Tim Keller is. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, a best-selling author. And just from a, like a personal standpoint, Tim Keller is probably the one person, humanly speaking, that has had you know, the most profound influence on my faith, my understanding of who Jesus is in the gospel and, um, and, and my ministry as a pastor. And so here I am listening to his son say, like, I grew up in this guy's house. This person has had such a profound effect in my life, and I grew up in his house, and it never really clicks for me. <laughs> it never really, and it's like, what do you do if you can't see? If you can't see, you, just, you, you can't see. There's nothing you can really do to make yourself see unless God opens your eyes. And part of the reason that I tell you that story is this, that I meet people all the time who say something like, you know, I grew up in church, but I never, under, I never heard the gospel. I never, nobody ever told me who Jesus was. And uh, the implication seems to be that that church I grew up in didn't tell people about Jesus. And of course that may be the case. But it may simply be the case that, you know, you grew up in a church that did teach people about Jesus and you just couldn't hear it. You just couldn't hear it. And God hadn't opened your eyes yet. And maybe today, God would open your eyes. Maybe even today. Spiritual blindness looks like knowing many things about God and yet 
It hasn't become real to you. And so there's this great contrast in this passage where we see this kind of spiritual blindness play out uh, between the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders who know all the right answers, and this man, this kind of man who had been blind his whole life uh, and yet has had his eyes opened by Jesus, both literally and spiritually. And the biggest contrast between them is that those who are blind speak with arrogant certainty, and the one who can see speaks with humble confidence. Here's some of the things the Pharisees say about Jesus. Verse 16, they say about Jesus, This man is not from God. Verse 24, We know this man is a sinner. And at the end, they overhear Jesus, and they kind of like rolling their eyes, they say, and are we blind too? You know, they just assert with certainty, confidence. We know these things. We know who you are. And they don't have a clue. It's obvious if you kind of just, even just reading the passage, uh, they don't know what's going on. And by contrast, this man has this kind of gentle, humble confidence and I want to be careful I say this because I think it's very trendy in our world now to say like, ah, who can know anything about God? It's just, I'm not saying he doesn't know anything. And yet there's a humility in his confidence. He simply answers the questions and says, uh, this is what happened to me. Uh, Jesus, you know, I, he, he, he opened my eyes. He, this is how he did it. Now I can see. Uh, but they ask him some questions. He says, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that question is. Uh, When our spiritual blindness is removed, we can see the reality of sin, and we can see the reality of grace. The Pharisees make these strident assertions. They know everything. They know that Jesus is a sinner, and this man is a sinner, and they know that they are not sinners, and so they have no need for grace, they think. But those who have had their eyes opened by Jesus can own their sin because they've experienced the grace of God. And so the irony in this passage is this, that at the end of the passage, it essentially, uh, it it comes to, uh, Jesus essentially says this. He says, I've come so that the blind can see, and so that those who think they can see will become blind. I've come so that those who are blind can see, and those who think they can see will become blind. And he's not saying he's going to remove the physical sight from people who can see, but what is he saying? What he's saying is this, that the deepest blindness is blindness to how blind we are. Does that make sense? The deepest blindness is blindness to how blind we are. Or in another way to say it, if you're sitting here going, what is this guy talking about? And what is all this spiritual blindness stuff about? That's not a good thing. Um, if you don't understand, if you're confident then you can, that you can see, then that's a problem. Jesus has come to open our eyes. The only problem, the problem is not our blindness. The problem is refusing to believe that we are blind. So secondly, then, what heals our spiritual blindness? What heals spiritual blindness? It's an amazing thing, the way that this passage ends, because Jesus goes back and he, he finds this man that he's healed, this blind man that he's healed. And um, this is what happens in verses uh, 35 and following. It says, Jesus heard that they have cast this man out of the, the synagogue, which doesn't mean he just can't go to church anymore, but his friends, his family, his social network, he's 
are gone. He's, he's, he's an outcast. And it says that Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, Jesus goes to find him, says to this man, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You know, that humble, tell me. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking with you. It is me, Jesus is saying. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And then it says, And he worshipped him. It says that he worshipped Jesus. As far as I can tell, this is the only place in the New Testament before the resurrection that somebody is said to have worshipped Jesus. Uh, and I think it is so profoundly helpful to us that, that, that it says that he worshipped Jesus. Um, what we have to understand is that a, a Jewish man, you know, like this man born blind, a Jewish man would never worship a human being. And yet in the moment, he is so just... I mean, I don't think this man would have been able to say, I understand now that you are the second person of the Trinity, therefore I'm going to... Like, he didn't have the theological answers worked out. But in the moment, Jesus has healed this man and opened his eyes and explains who he is. And he just senses the divinity, the glory, the power of Jesus. And he worships him. It's an amazing thing that a Jewish man would worship a human being, but... In worshiping Jesus, he shows us the cure to spiritual blindness. And what he shows us is this, that worshiping the wrong thing is the cause of spiritual blindness. And so the cure for spiritual blindness is worshiping the right thing, Jesus. Worshiping Jesus is the only cure for spiritual blindness. And let me, let me explain to you how that plays out. Um... Anything apart from Jesus that you worship uh, will entrap you, and you won't actually be able to see what it is doing to you. Tim Keller, my friend Michael's dad, in one of his best-selling books, um, quotes a writer in the New York Times named, I think it's Benjamin Nougat, and uh, Okay, that was way too confusing. There's, a, there's an author who wrote this in the New York Times, and he's talking about his just existence as a writer, and he, he says this. He says, When good writing was my only goal, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. Okay, he's saying there was a time in my life when my work, writing, was the most important thing in my life. And so the quality of my writing was what I looked to to, t to feel good about myself. When good writing was my only goal, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. For this reason, I wasn't able to read my own writing well. I couldn't tell whether something I had just written was good or bad because I needed it to be good in order to feel sane. I had lost the ability to cheerfully interrogate how much I liked what I had written, to see what was actually on the page rather than what I had wanted to see or what I feared to see. You understand he's saying, he wouldn't use the word worship, but I had made my writing, my work, the highest good in my life, and when I did, it was so close to me that I couldn't actually see it. 
I couldn't tell if it was good, I couldn't tell if it was bad. I couldn't enjoy the work or writing of anybody else because it made me feel insecure. What he's saying is whatever you live for, you will actually be blind to. If you live for your children, you will indulge them while failing to realize what little terrors they are. Uh, If you live for your work, you won't be able to take criticism, and so you will never improve. And so on and so forth. It's only when you begin to worship God for who he really is that you kind of can take a step back from everything else in your life and get perspective. God shines the light on your life. And you can see not only who he is, but you can see everything else in light of him. So how do you do that? How do you see God for who he is? Do you just, you know, go to church more, pray more, sing more worship songs, read the Bible, try harder? No. You have to see something. You have to see something. When Jesus was on the cross... You read it in in the Gospels. When Jesus was on the cross, it says that for three hours, uh, darkness came over the land. You know, there's, I don't know, there's an eclipse. I I, I don't know physically what's happening. But, But more than that, what's happening is that in a spiritual sense that transcends into the physical universe, Jesus is being plunged into darkness on the cross. And as he hangs on the cross in darkness, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's fascinating to think about that. As far as I can tell, it's the only time in the Bible that it records Jesus not knowing something. You know, we we looked at um, last week when Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families. Uh, It said that... um, that he, he, he asked one of his disciples, where are we going to f- get food to feed all these people? And it says in the Bible, it says, he knew what he was going to do, but he said this to test his disciples. It says in chapter 8, Jesus says, I know where I came from and where I am going. Jesus always knows what he's doing. He can always see, except this one time. As he hangs on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, what in the world are you doing? And he is plunged into spiritual darkness. Why? As he hangs there on the cross in spiritual darkness, what's happening is this, that the one who said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was, is being plunged into darkness so that those of us who live in darkness can see. He is taking the darkness upon himself in order to enable us to live in the light. John Newton, John Newton um, wrote a song that everybody knows. John Newton, um, uh, John Newton was an Englishman. John Newton was a slave trader. He was the, the, the captain of a slave ship. And um, John Newton was actually, at one point, his crew hated him and they left him in West Africa, where John Newton then was enslaved himself. And somebody came and rescued John Newton. His father sent somebody to come and rescue him. And he was rescued, and it was then that God opened his eyes, and he began to be able to see. And John Newton went back to England and became a pastor, and later in his life wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. 
but now I see. John Newton actually, at the end of his life, went blind, physically, and yet still could sing. I once was lost, but now I'm blind. I was, or I won't. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I still see. Jesus opens the eyes of the spiritually blind by plunging himself into our darkness. When we see the beauty of who he is and the depth of his sacrifice, we cannot help but respond with worship by being called out of ourselves. And so if you cannot see, if you do not have spiritual sight, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. In Luke 11, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. If you then, who are evil, I think it's hilarious, Jesus says, you guys are evil, you all know that. And you know how to give good gifts to your children, so if you need something from God your Father, just ask and he will give it to you. If you need spiritual sight, ask and the Father will give the Holy Spirit to you. James 1.5 says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. If you cannot see, if you are spiritually blind, simply ask. Thirdly, then, how Jesus enlightens the world, how Jesus brings light to the world. Jesus heals our spiritual blindness in order that we might bring light into the world. In verse 5, Jesus says this, John 9. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, what's the implication of that statement? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, the implication is I'm not always going to be in the world, and therefore someone else will be the light of the world. Now, there is, of course, a sense in which Jesus, having died and been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and now seated at the right hand of God the Father, he is still the light of the world. And yet... And yet, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is saying, I will not always be physically in the world, but you, my body, my followers, my church, you, us, are the light of the world. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, therefore, as children of the light. Jesus was plunged into spiritual darkness in order to raise us, open our eyes, and then send us out into the world as light. And I want to suggest to you that the most pressing issue facing Christians, at least in this country in our time, is what does it look like for us to be light in the world? What does it look like for us to be light in the midst of a dark culture? course, we could all uh, point out many tragic examples of Christians uh, doing a really, really poor job, <laughs> right? Uh, we don't need to go there. Um, we've all seen that. But really what I'm thinking about is everyday Christians who seem to have lost the ability to speak of our faith in simple terms. Everyday Christians who... Um, You know, when we go to work, we maybe have this sense that I'm here to, well, I'm here at work for the same reason that everybody else is here at work. We've lost the sense that God has called every Christian and given us a unique vocation in order to be light in our workplaces by doing 
meaningful, good work to the glory of God. And so I want to simply encourage us, and I don't have the time to fully unpack this this morning. I'd love to say more about this in the future, but I want to simply encourage us in a world of arrogant certainty to return to a life of humble confidence like this man who was born blind. I love how he, how he responds to the, to the Pharisees. You know, one of the words the world, uh, sorry, one of the words the Bible uses for Christians in the world is the word witness. And that word is like crazy town to us. It doesn't mean being angry on a street corner or knocking on people's doors. What is a witness in a court of law? A witness is somebody who just answers questions about what they've experienced. And so we have to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, regain the ability to simply explain in simple, confident words what we have experienced Jesus doing in our own lives. That's, that's what it means to be a witness. Being able to explain what Jesus has done in our own lives and being able to say, I don't know, when we don't know. Jesus is the light who opens our eyes and he sends us into the world as light. Scott Sauls is a, is a pastor in Nashville and an author. and he, he wrote this in one of his books. He said... In his masterful exposition of the Sermon on the Mount, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that Christians become a light to the world to the degree that they stand out as different from the world. The world does not thirst for a religious imitation of itself, nor does it thirst for an us-against-them moral turf war with its zealous religious neighbors. The world thirsts for a different kind of neighbor, not the kind who deny their fellow man, take up their comforts, and follow their dreams, but the kind who deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow Jesus in his mission of loving this weary world to life. Isn't that a great statement? Not the kind who deny their fellow man, take up their comforts, and follow their dreams, but the kind of Christian who denies themselves, takes up their crosses, and follow Jesus in his mission of loving a weary world to life. The world also thirsts for a new vision for being human, for pursuing and entering friendship, and for leaving things better than we found them. A simple, humble confidence. Knowing who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has called us to do. So let me finish with this. There's a town in Norway that uh, is called... Well, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word. (laughs) But you can find this on the internet. And in uh, th- this town in Norway is, lies at the, uh, the base of a valley surrounded by mountainous peaks on both sides. And it's so far north that uh, from September through March, the sun being low in the sky never shines light onto the valley floor. And the people in this town live in this kind of twilight for half of the year completely shrouded in the surrounding and the shadow of the surrounding mountains. And so in 2013, what they decided to do was to install on the top of the uh, peak overlooking the city, massive heliostatic mirrors overlooking the city to reflect the beams of the sun's light into the town center. And so in the middle of winter in 2013, for the first time ever, I suppose, light shone on the town uh, center in this town in southern Norway. And that, I think, is a picture of what Jesus is calling to do as we live as light in the world. 
those people would not have stood there on that winter day and said, look at how beautiful those mirrors are. I would have said, look at how beautiful the sunlight is. The goal is not that people would look at your life and think about how beautiful you are. You are not the sun. You simply reflect it. And so the goal for us as people who have had, if we have had, when we have had our eyes opened by Jesus, is not to go out into the world as amazing, (laughs) but to go out into the world simply, confidently, reflecting the light of the God who has opened our eyes. And that's what it looks like to be a beautiful witness in 2019. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the light. Thank you that uh, you are the author of life and light. You simply spoke and called uh, the world, our existence, uh, into being. And yet despite uh, all of that, you humbled yourself and became like one of us, took on our flesh. You were veiled so that People would not see you were willing to be misunderstood. And Jesus, you plunged yourself into darkness in order to bring us into the light. God, would you open our eyes? Would you open our eyes? If anyone is here and has never um, experienced what it is like to have you open the eyes of their hearts, God, would you help them to simply Jesus, open my eyes. And then, God, would you uh, send your people out into the world to reflect your light? We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.